0: Welcome to Weapon of Choice, a podcast where creatives across mediums give us insight into the weaponry of their art. Each episode, you'll be hearing an interview with an artist who uses their art as a weapon of choice for social change and disruption, visibility and justice, cultural critique and resistance, among other things that ignite social consciousness and community action. These artists will tell us about their journeys toward the battles they are fighting, how they design, sharpen, and develop their artistic weaponry to strike a blow against injustice in the world.
1: Let's do it. It's been a minute. It's
0: been a minute
1: we promise that we're still here. We're still here. <laughs> we're still making stuff for you. Still making stuff. <laughs> Just uh, when it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a wild uh, fall into the new year. We've we've been making films. We've been starting other projects, things down the pipe, as always for y'all. Um, and, you know, even though you don't hear from us for a little bit, we are we've got. We've got episodes for you like this one today, and we've got episodes down the pipe. Uh, you know, our, our list of people that we want to interview for this show um, is always expanding.
0: Yeah, it's endless. And then we just have to, you know, <laughs> we're, we're getting close to be able to find a groove. We're in post-production for one film in the middle of pro- right. production of another film, make, starting up new podcasts. But this is our heart weapon of choice, mm-hmm. and we're going to smooth it out, and we're going to roll on through and get you some of the, the best interviews that you'll be able to get your hands on because these artists were all, uh, have s- sat down and talked to with some new episodes coming out and that we plan to sit down with our, uh, extraordinary as usual. And we're looking forward to bringing you more of that.
1: So, uh, this interview, actually we had, with a lot of our guests, sometimes we can just go back, you know, we know we want to talk to somebody. We know it, we, we want to interview them, um, because of our schedules and artists, sometimes it takes a little bit. Um, so we had actually been emailing this artist for quite a few months. Um, and we just knew that we, we had to talk to him. Um, and we are so glad that we did. Um, I think you can just tell in listening to this episode that, uh, it, it was just a really special conversation. Um, mm-hmm. one of those things where I think even when we were, uh, you know, cleaning up the audio and, and reviewing, uh, the interview, I mean, I got sucked right back into it and just like there would be moments where I was like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be listening for audio cues. Uh, and I was just totally, um, totally 100 percent into it. So we're so, so excited to, to share this with you all. So um, this episode, we got to talk with uh, Nusheen Hakim Javadi, uh, who is a sculpture and performance artist from Iran, currently teaching and residing in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Javadi's work is often focused on space and condition, creating objects that are used as symbols for attachment memory. We talk about the collaborations with musicians and other artists, what it was like growing up uh, in Iran. We, we cover everything. Um, and you know, I'm, I was just so thrilled because this was truly an example of, uh, machine, um, Kind of going anywhere with us over the course of the interview. And that's what I think made it so special. Is yeah. It,
0: that's what we're all about. Yeah. And when it happens, we're like, we just look at each other and
1: like even before the, the, yeah. <laughs> I feel like uh, even before you listen to this, I want to just say thank you to Nusheen because it was just such a, such a blessing uh, and gift to get to speak with her. Yeah, uh, you're gonna,
0: you're going to google her work when you get done here in this conversation <laughs> and and li- and literally just sit with sit with everything you see. Um you just naturally will. I don't even have to command you to do that, <laughs> you know. Uh it's special. So we're excited yeah. for this to be out there and in the record books and I know I'll be listening back for years to come. And that's why we do this because we're mm-hmm. blessed to be able to talk to artists like Machine.
1: Now, hey if you, if you dig this interview and the other stuff we've been doing, uh, you should check out our Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash Weapon of Choice Podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash Weapon of Choice Podcast. Um, look, we'll, we will always bring this stuff to you uh, by our, 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 our work and our sweat for free but uh you know any little amount helps uh we we are 100 percent into continuing to provide these uncensored unscripted interviews to you to our listeners to to anyone and talking to artists and giving them an opportunity to speak at length about their work their process uh their lives that's right um you know we're not interested in, in cutting these down or making them fit a mold or or a Uh, a distribution platform um and so this patreon is just our way of saying like hey if you like what we're doing uh please support us
0: right please support us um we're way better than the new york times (laughs) um and uh yeah the daily is a great show but the new york times overall come on come on don't give don't give them your money give weapon of choice your money (laughs) It's a community thing, you know you're, you're a weapon of choice community member, the second you give a dollar or more per month to our patreon, and yeah. we appreciate that you go on there. there's people giving that's helped us uh, been, uh, giving us a, the ability to get where we need to get, be on the move, record, use whatever mm-hmm. equipment, um, get to whatever city to interview an artist, and uh, there's all different levels: one dollar a month or more, five, 10, 15, you'll have a nice little title that goes along with the amount you give, all having to do with uh, um, you know, being in these streets and being a community member and fighting, fighting together for our collective liberation. So hit up our Patreon and hit up um, Apple iTunes and give us that five-star rating in review because yeah. every review and every rating helps us get found. Uh, we need that organic reach because, again, we're not the New York Times with a million dollars a day mm-hmm. to spend on advertising mm-hmm. That's right. um, and we're just better than the New York times. There you but go. much respect to uh, the daily. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I, I think y'all know why I'm saying that as, as of late because of this presidential race. So, you know, you're smart, you get it. And, uh, you know, hit us up on Instagram at weapon of choice podcast. Facebook is at weapon of choice podcast. And if you use Twitter, it's at Weapon Choice Pod. We'd love to hear from you and love your support. Share whatever you can. Tell your people, and uh, yeah, get excited for this interview. We are mm-hmm. so excited!
1: All right, let's roll that tape.
2: So I'm uh, Nushin Hakim Javadi. I'm um, from Iran. Uh, I'm an artist. I do sculpture, performance, and. Um, Basically, like any other artist, I'm a thinker. Uh, I like to make political art, and I think um, art in general, and life in general, is political. Well, welcome to the Weapon of Choice podcast. Yeah, we're welcome.
0: are so glad we yeah. finally gotten together. I know! Okay. <laughs> We've been talking, <laughs> and we're here before the before the year's over. What is your weapon of choice, and what, what are some of the battles you're fighting?
2: Well, it depends on uh, which stage of my life you're asking me. Um, I grew up in Iran, which like um, my everyday life was a fight as a woman there. Like when I say everyday life, like literally the moment that I want to get out of the house, I have to wear hijab and I don't want to wear hijab. And I have to fight with family. I have to fight with school. I have to fight with government, with like everything. So by that time... Uh, my choice was to uh, become like, one of the journalists when I was a teenager. And, and then things got a little bit crazy. School got a little bit like, uh, strict about the student, that they were active in journalism. And then uh, by that time, there were like so much of a, like, a revolutionary feeling in like, a mm-hmm. generation of like, students in also uh, college. So everything got a little bit tricky, so I just, like, left that aside. I was like, okay, I first need to get into the college, and then I can find out, like, what is my real voice instead of just kind of, like, bouncing around and, like, just trying to be opposite of whatever my government is, right? Um, So after that, I went to art school, and I started, um, like, making art. Which for a while I felt that like this is not the thing that I that address my issues, that address the things that I have to deal with that. Like, for example, in uh, Tehran University, like some of the things that like people don't know is like the amount of abortion that girls like have to go through and like. Lots of things that is just like behind the scene and nobody pays attention to. You're not supposed to talk about it, not only because of the government, but also because of the families that they cannot accept that. Right. And I look at my art and I was like, okay, my art does not reflect that at all. Like, how can I make a beautiful flying bird when like all of these things are happening right now for like My generation, and I'm sure that was the same for the past generation too, but like because of the pressure that was in the society, nobody was going to talk about it. So I decided to talk about the issues that we have. Um, And I think there are always some kind of like, you know, um, pressure from the audience that like some people like it, some people hate it. Um, and I'm fine with, like, triggering things in my audience. Uh, and I feel that's a good moment that they're going to start asking questions. So,
0: Well, since you brought up audience, I want to know who is your audience and who do you make the work for? You know, two different things.
2: Yeah, that's a challenging question. <laughs> um, well, to be honest with you, um, lots of time I don't have that much of a choice uh, to pick up my audience, and I don't like it. I like to make work for my, my for my audience in Iran, but I don't have the choice to do that. So when I uh, moved to United States, my audience completely they changed right Uh, and I was trying to kind of like be in and out of the gallery or like for example when I was like um, artist in resident in uh, University of Minnesota in Wiseman Museum I was thinking that like okay I am in like a nice museum setting and my audience I don't think that they even gonna come here So what should I do? I still, like, need all of these, like, you know, source of, like, you know, people and, like, knowledge and research and everything. But, like, the work that I'm making is for the audience that probably they've never stepped into the museum. So what would I do? So I use the resources that I have I present the work, yes, in the galleries, in the museum, but I always find a way to kind of like reach out to the audience that I think I care more about because they don't have that much of access to the art. And um, they always, I think they always have like uh, more, um, they have like, how do I say? They have more unique response to my work, and I like it. And it's not always pleasant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's challenging for me to see, like, how do they react to my work?
1: G- going back to what you're talking about of that kind of that transitionary period when you first started doing art, and and looking at the. Uh, the issues around you, and you were like, "How?" I think you used the example, like, "How can I make a beautiful bird when I, I think I need to make something?" Was there a a first piece that you recall where you remembered, like, taking, like, dipping your foot in that water and being like, "Oh, like, was it like there's no going back now? Like, I am making the most political things I can make, no matter what." Or, you know, what was that process of of that transition? Was there like a first piece, or what did that look like?
2: Well.
0: What, you, when you were talking about that time, mm-hmm. before you answer that, what year around were you in that university in Iran?
2: 2007 and 2008 was that oh. transition. Okay. Basically, 2008 was the time of the election that... Uh, the Green... Yeah, the uh-huh. Green Movement. Exactly, by that time. Well, <laughs> I can go for answering that question for hours and hours. I love that question. Nobody ever asked me that question. But... Um, It's a really, um, it happened in two different phases. Mm. One was uh, the time that I wanted to do my thesis for my bachelor. Uh, But that that was just the starting point. But there was a point that was much more important. And I can still see the effect of that moment in all of my works. Mm. So... When I was uh, defending my thesis, basically like we have a solo show at the end and then we defend it and like all of those things. It happened by the exact time of the protest that was happening and the Green Movement and like, and most of the protest starts from the university that I was from and Amir Kabir that is like really close. So like in Iran, when like political protest starts, it used to be like all from like major universities. Um, which I was in, like my the art school is like literally behind the entrance of like Tehran University, and I was like planning on my solo show. Everything was ready, and then the protest happened. So we were like going to protest. I were like, you know, like everything was just like started to become a chaos. The passage and militia they would like attack university students would kind of like try to defend themselves. I remember one of my friend in a sculpture studio he would just like show us like how to weld and like uh, do some I don't know what's the name of those things that um, you put a stone and then kind Thing of yeah, yeah so yeah. making those and making cocktail <laughs> molotov like people in uh, like theater they would show us how to make cocktail molotov like basically would like you know, soap and stuff. And then the other people would, like, show us how to, like, defend ourselves. Anyway, so, mm-hmm. like, everything from, like, a research university and kind of, like, making art <coughs> started completely, like, shifted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So by that time, everything from my show was ready, and I had a platform for one of my work that was 4 by 16. So it was, a, like, a really long platform. So I went back home, which my hometown is like two hours from Tehran, and then, I, and then they uh, closed all of their roads. I couldn't come back to Tehran. And then by that time, uh, my, like my friends and my other colleagues, they were still like in university, and then, then way they were like defending against like, all of the militia, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that people do when they shoot gas tears, they have to burn something. So they took my, like, platform that was 4 by 16, and then they put it in front of the entrance of Tehran University, and then they started firing my work. And then one of the people who was in the sculpture studio, he said, please don't do that. Like, that's for the final thesis of, like, (laughs) student, like, she's going to be back, like, next week. She doesn't have anything to defend if you burn all of her sculptures. And then people didn't listen to that because by that time they had a different mission and vision in their mind, right? Right, right. And then I came back and then the police cleaned everything in the street. Like they renewed all of the broken glasses. They cleaned the street. They basically like remove all of the dust mask, evidence, everything. The only thing that they could not remove was like a big... Uh, you know, residue. Like scorch marks. Yeah, yeah scorch oh mark that was in front of Tehran University. And that was the best piece of work that I can recall that I made. I mean, we made it. It was just like, mm, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, that was the thing that really, it was a pivot point in my art practice. And I love that. I couldn't even take a picture of that because it was just like really mm. guarded, university mm. by that time. So I was just like looking at it, and I was like, yeah, that's my artwork.
0: But the picture, I mean, the picture that resonates without the actual picture um, is everlasting. And also based on the thing you said about it, which was, I'm quoting you now, you said, even in the most calculated tactics of erasure, the evidence of resistance thrives. Mm. Having to do yeah. with that moment, you know. And that was amazing. And you feel most proud of that. Yeah, that I do. It's funny because Ananya talked about you can't necessarily point to a moment in a dance performance because it's, once it's over, it's over. Um, certain things can be taped, but what have you. Mm-hmm. But it's just those things. There's this scientific, psychological thing about not having the actual photograph
2: that makes it a more powerful memory. Um, I think so. It really... Yeah. Uh, keeps it like really alive in my memory and you know even if I would have taken a picture it would be just like that residue with the entrance of Tehran University but the way that I remember it it was like the riot guard with all like black suits and everything and I was just like walking in front of them getting to the university with a smile in my face that like oh, yes, you cleaned everything, but you cannot clean that. And that's the place that the, like, basically the entrance of Tehran University is the place that they have the prayer every Friday, and that's the most political prayers every week that happens, like, that it's basically led by the government. So people who are, like, supporting the government and supporting the supreme leader, they all had to go through that, Gate again, and they like there wasn't any chance to basically ignore that, and that was yeah. That was a good feeling. Does so, it
0: also feel like that's your that deri- that that derived from your piece, something you created, but at the same time, it has nothing to do with you?
2: I think I didn't create it. I should say that like the whole situation mm-hmm. altogether, you know those students that they were in university and they were trying to kind of like defend themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, my work was just happened to be there and happened to help like the whole situation. So I think as like lots of time, the artwork is not made by one person. It's just like each of us, we are playing a little bit of a role, like like the same thing that you are doing, you know? Mm -hmm. There isn't,
0: is there okay so I have a question for you as a woman as a woman right mm-hmm. is there a a fine line or a balancing act when um speaking to the notion of a multi-collaborative of the people of communities uh aspect of creation um of your artwork but is is there a fine line balancing and in, in, in thinking about uh giving credit to these other organic elements that made this thing come together, but also taking your own credit because in a lot of collaborative senses in art, um, the men don't ever have to think about that. So they can say they made it. They can say they made an entire album. I produced it. I wrote it. I sang. I made the chords. And if it's a woman who makes the whole thing, like they don't get the same credit. So do you you ever think about like how much to claim – in any collaborative uh, aspect, how much to claim that, yes, I did this and I worked this hard on this, you know? Do you ever think about that or talk about that?
2: Well, um, okay. I think that's a really Western, sense? yeah, it yeah. completely makes sense. Uh-huh. But it's so Western for uh-huh. me that, okay, so let's step back one. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of different ways of looking at our existence, right? Mm-hmm. So Uh, There is something that I really like about, like, the, like, older philosophy in Iran, like, how to look at the life is, like, like the same way that Rumi says, that, like, you are a drop in the whole ocean, you are the whole, and then the whole is you, right? So, like, it's always a back and forth between, like, how do you see yourself, like when I'm a drop in the ocean, I see myself as an ocean, but I also can see myself as a drop, right? But that kind of like, there isn't any specific boundary between that drop and that ocean. Sometimes that drop might come out and then goes back to the ocean. I don't feel that boundary that like, oh, this is, this is the boundary that I have to make and that's me. No, there isn't such a thing. I completely see that, like how much female um, in like all different um, part of the society, they have to fight for their rights. They have to kind of like stand for themselves and say, this is the work that we make. This is the change that we make. Um, I really appreciate that. And I think this is a really important thing to do uh, for next generations. But for myself, for my art. I don't have that boundary and I don't, uh, think that it's necessary.
1: Mm. Do, in that, in that moment too, where, uh, uh, with, with the burning of the piece before, um, your thesis defense, because a, a couple of your pieces that, that I'm, I'm we're familiar with with like the 100 lullabies and the 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 radio project uh was was that at the wise yes it
2: was in the wise um
1: you know to me so much of your work is so about like the community interaction people coming together and not doing that very like gallery thing of like standing at and looking right and like taking a step back looking again taking a step i mean it's so interactive and it's so Um, there's like community is just all through it Um, in that same moment where it's almost like the community thrust itself into your work and with with the like the burning of this thing was that also a moment like art your art before that was more was it more individual and then suddenly it was like oh my gosh we like everything has to be this sort of like raw community integration and like realism or did was it always sort of communal in that way
2: it no, it never. My artwork wasn't communal mm. uh, before that, and I think you should be lucky that those things happens. And to be honest with you, lots of the communal project that you do as an artist, mm. it's not always successful. Sure. So <laughs> you sometimes have like really, really bad feedbacks yeah. from the community. Yeah, uh, and it just takes time. And I think that like you just should be like super lucky that the community like have that trust to you mm. and you are part of them, not an outsider. And I've learned my lesson in a hard way, but
0: <laughs> mm. <laughs> but. Um... Well, it sounds like
1: there's a story there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what do you find? What do you find poetic about bridging marginalized communities in your work? There's no. a poetry there. It feels like.
2: Do mm, you know it's. It's so interesting because I think that like, uh, well, I always start my work with like some prompts and some poetry. Like um, growing up, like for any celebration, like for example, you have like like for example, imagine that like you're in a Christmas. Like we don't have Christmas, we have like Yalda Night. That's the Mm -hmm. solstice. But like everybody in the family start reading poetry, and it's not like it's just like a common thing. Like by the new year, you have to have like the new year with like your own poetry, right? So Mm -hmm. it's just like something that's the everyday life of like, Mm -hmm. you're gonna read poetry, right? Mm -hmm. So all of my prompts come from like some poetries. And then, and it can be like really simple, like um, simple thing, like looking at the horizon and wait for somebody to step in, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's just kind of like start from like a really simple thing and I think um, I don't know how to answer your uh, question because I don't know how does it happen that sometimes the community trusts you but I think that you just have to wait for the right moment, you just have to be there, you just have to understand it, you have to start like conversation and you also have to understand that like when I say you, I mean like mm-hmm. you as an artist I myself have to understand that like we're having a conversation and it doesn't mean that something has to come out of it. If something comes out naturally, it's there. If it doesn't, it just doesn't. And you have to just like let it go. It's based on the needs of a community. Like if mm-hmm. I want to make a work about like Iran right now when I'm not there. I cannot do that because like I'm not there I don't know what is the need like I knew that 8 years ago I knew exactly like how can I like make it work I love to make it work like that's my dream work that I like to make with like some um, like some guys that they ride bike in like in a really crazy way in the street but like right now I cannot make that work because it might not address the needs of the community So I think just everything should be completely natural and Mm -hmm. you have to be the creative mind to kind of like push things into different direction and see how like the whole thing going to work.
0: I didn't answer your question, I feel. Yes, (laughs) some of that abstract is poetic and also the not having the answer not thinking we have the answer while we're giving an answer of sorts is the answer, (laughs) you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Best answer in the world.
2: I also think that, like, sometimes in my sculptures, Uh uh, like, more in the installation, I can see the poetic approach much more, like, that ephemerality of, like, lots of the work that I make. Like, um, one of the work that I think was really poetic was And some of the shoes that I collected and like the stones that I collected from the protest, and I grow root killer crystal around it. So when you look at it, it's such a beautiful blue crystal that like people kind of like relate that to healing, Mm -hmm. like when you look at the crystal. But then, like, the whole tense meaning that it's behind that is like, Oh, that crystal is the crystal that grew out of the root killer, like basically like um, the sulfite crystal, mm. Mm. the copper sulfite, and that was the thing. That was the feeling that I had, like when I left Iran, when like when the protest happened, and then after that, you could see that, like yeah, all of those people went through that much of a hardship, and then everything died there. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, there, there are some pieces where. I was like what I don't I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to think like I know I'm being I'm being moved um and then you take the aesthetics out of it I'm still being moved and yet I don't still need time with this like I need time with this and I know that a lot of people take in gallery art sculpture and if they don't get it and it doesn't click for them right away they're like eh not for me and I'm like wait to not know what I exactly what I'm looking at but still feel moved it's like that to me is a is a call to really take your time with a piece of mm-hmm. art or, or work and and I know for me mirror works kind of like really stood out for me um, because there were a couple images of faces maybe two or three maybe two and but then there's this installation I, I just feel like every piece of mirror is like a voice you know like and I only saw two faces, but I feel like there's just so many more voices mm-hmm. in all these reflections. And I don't know. That's just the way I'm interpreting it. But I don't know who you're thinking of or if you're thinking of a people when you're making that particular piece. But it just felt like it was literally saying a lot, even though if I don't have the words or the languages, there were just a lot of voices bouncing off, reflecting, it felt like, mm-hmm. you know. And how do you. And then I noticed mirrors popping up in other pieces, too, though. So why is that?
2: Uh, what is your... So it was a, it's funny that you asked that question today because uh, the time that I... That's a collaboration with mm-hmm. uh, Pedro and Baldari. We made those together. Mm-hmm. I mean, we collaborate a lot with each other. Uh, but that was the week of the election. I was supposed to make something completely different for the show. And then the election happened and we were like... Huh this is not the time to show this work. So we stayed in the studio for like two weeks completely and then made those works. <laughs> and then the first work that we made was the American flag with like yeah. Iranian-style mirror mosaic. Yeah, And I was like, it was so much of a pressure, you know, b- b- two weeks before the show to change the work. But it was the right time. It was the right moment. And... Uh, so again, in the idea of the mirror work is that like you basically like when you see the mirror works in the mosques and in the building, you basically walk into it like under a dome that it's all small mirror works that all by the sudden when you go there, your picture is going to get shattered to the whole environment around you but then at the same time your picture gonna get blended with the other pi- other people that they are around you so it kind of like blends all of the bodies together blends all of the voices together mm-hmm. and again it talks about like the idea of that like you are part of the whole the whole is you so it's mm-hmm. kind of like it has that back and forth and the reason that we made the american flag it was like specifically because of that election that happened and it was so interesting to kind of like see all of the audience from like different race i mean as a middle eastern when i invite like when i have it opening it's like there are different there is more diversity in the audience (laughs) i should say and compared to lots of other shows that i go and then it's yeah it's a funny thing in minnesota that i always i'm like oh, like this opening, there are like only like Somalians and I don't see any of like my white people coming here. And I'm like, why? Or like, you know, that's there's always like that distinction even in the like art galleries. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's a different issue. But like it was interesting to see like how all of those pictures of the people would blend together as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there were some... Um, pictures of like me and Pedram that like we were thinking about the time that like um, you know people would recognize me as a Muslim Uh, and the first thing that they think about is my hijab or like the first thing that they think about him is his beard that like you know, people start to kind of, like, tag you as, like, oh, you're a Muslim, where is your hijab? Or you're, like, Middle Eastern, like, you have a beard, that means that you're a Muslim. And then we covered those parts by mirrors. So when you would look at yep. that picture, instead of seeing the beard, you would see the reflection <laughs> of yourself. That means you that, like...
0: You see self. No,
2: <laughs> <laughs> so that was... Uh, that was the kind of, like, funny moment that happened in that work that I uh, liked it. But it was, yeah, it started from that. Uh, but the idea of the mirror work is just, like, such a peaceful, beautiful kind of, like, looking at, like, um, the reflection of yourself in the community, not in the community, with the people that they are around you. And understanding that you are not the center, like, you're part of the whole thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I see in a Western culture is that everything is just, like, so individual-based. Like, like it's just a, such a big cultural difference that mm-hmm. I uh, can feel. But mm, that was basically a try to kind of, like, get out of that kind of, like, be the individual is the center of their own universe.
1: Do you feel like that's that's one thing that as you talked about, as we had met, like been talking about audiences, um, that's something that is is sort of like a boundary with a lot of your audience like in the US or in Minnesota is that do, do audience members usually come in trying to individualize your work or make it about a singular thing as opposed to um, seeing the broader like community interweavings of it?
2: No, the audience lots of time Uh, comes by, try to kind of like think about my mm, ethnicity. Mm. Oh, you're a Middle Eastern. Or like they're trying to kind of like connect, like if they know something about me, like some of the people that they have more, uh, like uh, they are more knowledgeable. They try to kind of like connect it to the war or they kind of like try to ask me about like uh, me being Muslim. Uh, which I'm not even Muslim. It's (laughs) funny when they ask that. It's almost like
1: they're trying to make their individual connection to you.
2: Yeah, yeah. which it's interesting. But, you know, I think the challenge for the artist is to kind of, like, understand how to challenge your audience and how to challenge myself. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I have most challenge with is that, like, when they try to kind of, like, put you in those, like, Mm -hmm. uh, Great point, great understanding that they have about like Middle East, Iran, like uh, supreme leader. And like, I'm like, but I'm an individual, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you cannot put me in those categories. But at the same time, it's, I like to make some work that they can also be interested in. Because if it was like eight years ago, I could make some work that it was interesting for my audience in Iran. But right now, my challenge is that, how can I make a work that it's from me, mm-hmm. but it kind of like goes back and forth between the audience that I have here and the conversation that I want to make. So I want to make it interesting for them. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter how much it takes, like, I even, like, uh, we, in the last, one of the last performances that Pedro and I did, uh, we brought a donkey to the sculpture garden to kind of, like, you know, when they ask us to kind of, like, give an educational tour, we're like, okay, we're not going to show our work in the walker. We're gonna try to get connected to the audience that they are in, like, sculpture garden versus, like, there. So it's it's a completely different topic I even think.
0: even though it's a challenge you welcome to make it interesting for uh more audiences um you welcome that challenge and it is challenging and there are some more challenging moments depending on the piece perhaps but um while it can be intellectually challenging, is it ever emotionally challenging
2: uh for audience or for me
0: for when you're thinking about creating uh, or is it is it scary to Say, you know, your root cause and who you're making it for, your people. And then you're like, but I want to make it interesting. You're saying that as challenging. And so, initially, yeah, creatively, intellectually, sure. But, like, if there, are you just resting? Because you know, you like ideas to come organically as well. Um, do you ever struggle, like, emotionally with how do I get to the next? how do I get to the next step of this thing I'm trying to create? Oh God, I,
2: not emotionally, (laughs) but mentally, physically, like, oh God, I get stressed out a lot. And I think I struggle a lot with, like, all of these issues for each work because um, I don't want the work to be interesting in it, like, pleasant way Mm -hmm. I want to make question I want to like sometimes it's more emotional like the lullaby project right but sometimes I feel like especially right now I'm trying to kind of like add some sense of humor sometimes but at the same time I want it to be like interesting but challenging for audience and that puts me in such a vulnerable position that sometimes I'm like right before the performance or before the show I'm like What the heck did I did? Why am I doing this? I'm not going to do such a thing anymore. This is the last time that I'm going to do performance in my life. Like, oh, my God, I cannot even sleep the night before. And then I kind of like I have some pushbacks from some of the audience and I'm like, okay, that's a good start. I can Mm -hmm. go further. But, um, yeah, I struggle a lot.
0: (laughs) Does from project to project, year to year, does that anxiety go down? Each project some more I as think, you grow, as you become older, as you learn more I about think yourself. it. really
2: depends on the project. like mm. for example, the project that we work with uh, Harbingen Center for New American that we were working with uh, lawyers. When I would go for the clinics, they have some clinics, basically the attorneys, they would go to the um, some places around like some rural places around uh, Minnesota. And then they would offer free uh, service to people that they're uh, here illegally and like hearing their stories and kind of like thinking about like how like I was just like I got trained and I was going there with them uh, with uh, like mm, school of law. And every time that I was coming back, I was just crying so hard. So that's a different types of emotion when you have to kind of like deal with like one on one storytelling situation that is just like so intense and hard. Uh, But I think it completely depends on the project. Like when I work with Lullaby, it was like super emotional. When I work with like lawyers, it's it became like super tense and mm. when I worked with Walker I was just like questioning myself that like what the hell I am doing here. <laughs> was
0: it because it was super white or?
2: Well that was a funny performance which I'm so proud of that performance honestly. I feel that like uh, there is a I don't know if it's correct or not, but just as an outsider, I feel there is a hierarchy that I feel between people that they go to Walker and they kind of like feel that like this is such a cultural thing that we do. And then they take their kids there. And then there are sometimes that like some other people come by there and they, they look at some of this sculpture and they're like, I don't understand anything. Like, what is that like things that goes up? Uh, and I kind of like <laughs> see the difference and sometimes like people ask me questions as a sculptor and I'm like, how should I answer that? So that uh, show, that Carry On Home, they curated that was such an interesting show and I'm so happy that I was part of it. They, the um, project was about basically an institution and, and lots of critiques came out of those shows right um, and the main subject of the show was education and I like Pedram and I were thinking about how can we educate people from like Middle Eastern point, point of view and kind of like connect that to like all of this sculpture that you can see in the sculpture garden so we have a character uh, it's a satire character that's called Mullah Nasreddin that he would always that he was a wise man but he would always uh write his donkey backward, and then he had some like more ease, and like pa- basically like people were like uh, going to his courses and stuff, but like he was always trying to teach like really complicated uh things through like making fun of the whole you know the whole infrastructure, and the whole system, right so we picked up uh. Um, some stories of Mullah Nasreddin that was related to those artworks mm-hmm. and then uh, kind of like critiques of like the money that goes behind it, critiques of like how much people can understand it or not, lots of different things but like all of them they were funny things but then the fact that like people so we were saying that like we don't ha- as an artist, we don't have any voice oops yeah but, <laughs> but you're basically carrying. We are carrying Mulan Asret, This donkey is carrying Mulan Asretin's wisdom. <laughs> so people would follow the donkey to get the uh, tour of the sculpture garden. And then three old white women. They get so offended at the beginning that they have to follow the donkey. That I was just like I didn't know how to answer that. That was the moment that I was like what the hell I'm doing here? I have uh, a donkey yeah. in Sculpture Garden, and people are, like, so pissed. But then, like, like the more that we did it, like, at the end, there were, like, around, like, 80 people, like, following the donkey, and <laughs> then they were all, like, laughing, and it was so good. It was a really successful project, yeah. and I was happy that, like, Walker accept accepts such a critique about, like, their work and the mm-hmm. way that, like... Uh, yeah, it was interesting to see how they handled it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. What
0: year was that one? This summer. It was just this summer. Yeah. So that's because <laughs> I just heard it say it's uh it's I think you said it's great that Walker accepts that kind of critique. I'm like it must be post 2017 <laughs> because of uh, some of the shit they were yeah. up to
1: we've been referencing like mm-hmm. a few of your pieces um but and we've gotten some of the the backstory and just like what it is for people that maybe weren't able to experience it. Or um, is there could you like quickly or not quickly as as long as you'd like maybe like describe what like the Hundred Lullabies Project was mm-hmm. and um, same thing with like Radio uh, Rhizome and, mm-hmm. and maybe just give that context for people. Yeah, sure. I think and we might move that to like the front of the interview just so people have that context as we're talking about it.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's that's really smart. You're right. Um, So I think uh, I'm going to start with Lullaby Project. And the Lullaby Project was a work that uh, I started on 2015. When I say I, it's like a big group of people. But that like basically Shole my friend who was in Iran and me, we kind of like started to kind of like collecting them together. Uh, I was invited to like some shows and I was like, how can I? And that was by the time that the war was like happening in Kobani in Syria like and as you know like in the Middle East there is a constant war right and I grew up in in the war until I was six years old so I was here and I was thinking that like okay so what can I do uh, as a person who right now is in United States completely far away from there and then all of my friends and my audience they were like saying that like they felt so bad, but they didn't know what to do. Or like, you know, when you feel like so hopeless and helpless that like, I don't know what to do. So I was like, okay, so that's a good point that like, you don't need to do a big act. You can do a really tiny, small act to basically um, make a connection uh, between like those kids that they are in the war that lots of them without knowing they are blaming West for that and basically make a connection that it's more humane versus like thinking about the politics. Because if you want to look at it in a bigger scale, we cannot do anything. Not we cannot do anything. I'm going to take that word back. No, no, no. Okay. So we cannot do anything right away today to make big changes, but we can all start from like really simple, small things. So I ask Mm -hmm. people to sing a lullaby for the kids that they are distance from their hometown because of the war Uh, and then I collected we collected that from like lots of different countries U.S., China, Ghana, Nigeria like lots of people uh, collaborated in that and then they sang lullabies and lots of time their voice was like it's just like with a really unprofessional voice that is so touching and then we sent each of those lullabies in different languages. We give each individual lullaby to each kid that it's distanced from their hometown because of the war. So there wasn't any kind of like public uh, showing of the lullaby. Basically, it was a it was just like like a letter that you send mm-hmm. it, and it only gonna have one recipient. Mm-hmm. And the thing was that the kids couldn't, most of them, they couldn't understand the language because like it was English, German, you know, we didn't have that much of the Arabic and uh, Farsi and Kurdish. Uh, we had a few. Uh, so that was the beginning of the project that we started on 2015. Uh, and then later on that project got expanded to different um, kind of like branches. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted to be sure was that I didn't want those lullabies to go on the web because that was really personal and intimate. Uh, so by the time that I uh, got invited for MCBA to do a show, instead of like publishing lullaby in a like, uh, soundtrack, mm-hmm. I made some um, music strips with a music box that people basically, it had those holes in it that they could put it in the music box and then they could play it. So I basically uh, just extract the melody of the lullaby that people sang and then that was a sort of publication Uh, of that.
1: Just when I, even when I I remember first reading about it um, and I I just remember like tearing up thinking about lullabies because it just reminds me of my grandparents was the idea of the lullaby, did that come from a memory or like uh, a moment that like was important to you? Or
2: That's a really good question. Actually, in one of the performances that we had, uh, we invited several people that they grew up in war and that they only explained, like they were like telling their stories to each individual audience. Uh, and all of us, we were explaining why singing song in that moment is important and why lullaby is important. For me personally, it started from the time that, so when I was a kid, the whole idea of the war was a game for me. I couldn't understand how serious is that. Uh, And like when, like, mm, those like jets and like they would come by for air raid. I remember that like my sister and I, were in the backyard, like shaking hands for them, like yay, because they are like, they fly really close to the ground, right? Um, and then. It's kind of like, it was like a hide and seek because by the time that the air raid would happen, they would turn off all of the lights. So we also, we had to run to downstairs to kind of like hide. So if you're a kid, you can understand why it's like super exciting because all of your family, that's the only game that all of your family gonna play with you. Like grandmother, like your parents, everybody gonna go downstairs with you. And then, but I remember one day... That uh, my dad wasn't at home, and uh, we we basically went to the shelter that was downstairs. And my mom had his uh, had like me and my two other uh, siblings. Like she had all of our head on her belly, kind of like uh, hiding us uh, under her arms. And then she started to kind of like really like how do you say that, like mesmerizing way, kind of like humming a song. And that was the moment that I realized that like, oh no, this is so serious. And I could understand that, like how much my mom was scared. Um, So that was the first moment that I, with that song, I got connected to that feeling of, Comfort when you're super scared. Um, But it has different, um, it had, like, for people, it has different, uh, I should say, people have different stories. Like, uh, one of my Afghan friends, Kais, he had, like, amazing funny stories about the time that they would get together and then they would like sing at the end of the night because that's like that's such a cheering up feeling you know because you are in a war but you're still living your life and you have like all of those you want to have happy kids and you want to have like a family that they're together and then singing the song in that moment is such a thing that basically gets people really close together. <sighs> but there is one thing about that project, I'm explaining it too long, but I'm trying to make
0: no, it no, shorter. No no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh,
2: When I was growing up that we were in war with, like Iran was in war in, with Iraq, and then the whole time the TV was uh, brainwashing us about like the Western and like United States and all of those things, right? And I remember growing up, and I was just like like you would go to the to school, and like you would like you had to say this to America, this to this, this to this, to that, like that's just like every day we had to say that. And my uncle was coming back from United States by that time, I wasn't even going to school, but my sister was so afraid of him because like, he was coming from United States, and we like I always thought that like yeah they're really like bad people that they are killing us or they are giving weapon to iraq to kill us so they don't like us anyway so my sister when my uncle came my sister hide away because like that was how much she was scared of my uncle but then it was so easy for him for him to kind of like buy me like he just gave me a piece of chocolate and i forgot everything about politics (laughs) But, <laughs> it, yeah, I know it's not, I'm not proud of that story. <laughs> but I remember that, like, how much, like, doesn't didn't matter how much my parents, they were trying to explain to me that, like, people are different than politicians. Like, your uncle is not a bad person. People that they live in United States, they're like us, they don't want to have war. Like, all of those things, they wouldn't make any sense, Right. Until the time that I grew up and I understand more of like what's happening in a bigger picture. And when we started that lullaby project, we were thinking about that like one one connection between like those kids that lots of time. They're like me in my childhood, that they're scared of Western people, that they're scared of people in U.S. They think that they're selling weaponry to like other countries to kill them, to kill their parents, to kill their loved one. And that's the only thing that they can see, that they've lost their home. Mm-hmm. So what do we expect that they believe? Like, how can they see... The beautiful souls of people that they love them, but they cannot do anything about that. So, when you give one lullaby to them, doesn't matter if they understand it or not, they find that like emotional connection. That was the that thing person that was.
0: Singing to me isn't trying to kill me. Yeah. From way over, wherever. Yeah, you know?
2: exactly. And that was just like so simple and so satisfying to see those and also see those kids that they wanted to sing a lullaby back. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't have any way to give it to them because I didn't have any contact information.
0: Yeah. Gee. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank you for sharing
2: that. Yeah. So the other project that was with Wiseman, I tried to be, like, really quick in that one. We were working with the uh, Harbingen Center for New American that they are uh, groups of, like... uh, um, attorneys and lawyers in University of Minnesota that uh, they help uh, non, illi- non-legal, I don't know, illegal, right, illegal uh, immigrants uh, to kind of like give them service and give them their rights to know uh, like um, their own rights uh, and um, basically connect them to lots of different um places in the town to kind of like get free, uh, service, uh, and they help people, uh, in detention that they got there because of the, um, like citizenship status. Uh, and we started, uh, collaborating with them on a project to kind of like see what we can, um, what we can bring up from like their research. It was really hard to have access to any type of information because Basically, if you wanted to use those information, it wouldn't be uh, safe for those people that, they, that those information belong to them. So instead of like using the, res- the resources that they had, what we did was that we worked with them to have, uh, to set up a pirate radio system. Uh, that you know, like when you're when you're illegal, and then the ICE raid happens, you don't want to use your Facebook because they can like track you. You don't want to like text anybody because you're gonna put other people in danger. You don't want to use any sort of like uh, Communication because it's gonna put you, your family, and your fl- friend in danger, right? So it becomes like so super hard to have access to the right information, and then the rumor gonna get bigger, and then some people just like run away from that city because yeah. they don't have yeah. access to the right information. So the right information over there is a power, right? Uh, so what we did was that we set up a pirate radio system that, like, with the radio system, nobody can basically trace it back to like are you like it's just the, the only thing that you need is a radio small radio that it's not traceable so we kind of like cut up all of the high-tech and um, access to the information uh, and then um, some of the people from the community uh, basically okay I should explain uh, something else before that we uh, created three different types of alarm. That one is the red alarm like the, during the war that like when the raid is happening the situation is red you shouldn't open the door you should go to the shelter. Like when the ice is knocking the door you shouldn't open the door because the moment that you open it everything is over. So the other situation is like the other alarm is a yellow alarm and then that you should be cautious like probably you shouldn't take your kid to the school probably you shouldn't go to the work. We don't know what's happening but like We're going to update you soon. And then the other alarm is white alarm that like when the rumors happen that the ice is there, but they are not. You're going to say like, no, the situation is white. You can go. You you can feel safe. So we basically created these three alarms that people could uh, like listen to that like on daily basis. Um, And it's just super easy because you can basically have a radio transmitter in a car and then broadcast it. So basically, when you broadcast it, they cannot catch you either. Well, that project didn't finish because of the financial situation, but that was the whole kind of, like, idea, and then the rest of it was just, like, basically the normal radio that would play music that Mm -hmm. is for that community that they don't get enough of the, like, what they like. Uh, So we started that in St. James with... um, Julio uh, and basically the whole idea was just like a pirate radio that is really easily accessible and it would give people right information so and they also like Julio would uh, do some like right to know workshop that like they would also like broadcast that on the radio that like for example when the ice happens you shouldn't like the ice rate happened. you shouldn't open the door. you can like show this card. you don't need to answer them. like all of those things that um, they mm. needed to know uh, and also it's kind of like tricky with getting funding to kind of like use it against ice. Yeah, <laughs> so that was an interesting challenge yeah. for us
1: Wow is uh I feel like that's like a whole a whole nother uh topic is is like funding for these projects that that are inherently subversive is that something you'd want to talk about or like reflect on in terms of like you said that unfortunately that project wasn't able to finish because of funding
2: well and i think so the project had two different branches one was basically turning the whole uh, architecture of the Wiseman museum to antenna to the radio antenna and to basically get your work out of inside of the museum and basically turn the whole architecture into the antenna that basically um, that was a kind of like symbolic act and then the other part was uh, with St. James um, but I don't have that much of a knowledge about funding right now the person like I was so lucky that I was working with Boris who was uh, who is right now the curator of Wiseman, that he provided the funding and also uh, with the um, law school in University of Minnesota. But when I was trying to kind of like pursue to get funding, I would realize that like, oh, these fundings that like basically it comes from tax, it cannot go to the direction to be used against ICE, you know? So if you want to use the tax money, for kind of like giving information to people, uh, it's just like it doesn't work because basically you are working against
1: Ice wants an uninformed public, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, well,
0: how, how exciting or scary? <laughs> so, how exciting, uh, or scary. Is it when an idea appears, when something new pops into your mind or just doesn't leave in terms of a direction you might want to go with a sculpture or a performance?
2: I can say that it depends, again, like with the idea of the pirate radio. It was scary because my husband and I were both on Visa, and when I was applying for a new visa, I was just like looking at it and I was like, I'm not going to put that into my visa, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, um, that's real. That's- yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know the answer to that. Mm. It, I think it's more about the process. In the process, things, it's like life.
0: When you get in a, when you get in a zone, you know, when you get in a nice zone, how does that feel?
2: Oh, that's really amazing when like that click happens and then you can see how excited people are that like from seeing a work or from using a work or like the part that I really like is the part that when people ask me some questions that it's mind blowing, that's the most you know fantastic feeling <laughs> that i can get okay <laughs> but yeah it has ups and down it's like a uh, roller coasters that sometimes you're super scared sometimes scared sometimes you're super like high and happy mm-hmm. mm.
1: do you remember any are there any specific questions that you're like mind-blowing questions that you remember that like from from the audience or the community that really like stand out to you
2: Well, there was one question that I don't um, forget it. It's not mind blowing, but um, I like that interaction. Uh, One time I was like, I was in such a financial need and I wanted to sell one of my crystal works Uh, And then somebody came by and she was so amazed by the beautiful shape of the crystal and then the blue that how much it's like uh, related to the architecture in Iran and all of those. And she was such a nice person. Like she just like had such a great vibe. And like we started talking and she decided to buy that work. And she was like, "Okay, so I want to know a little bit more about the history of that work. And I was like, yeah, this work, it's like People that they run away from the police in riot, they lose this stuff. So I collect it and I put it in a root killer liquid and then the crystal grows on that. So basically by the grow of the crystal, everything that has life and it is going to die. And then <laughs> she was like, I mean, well, her look was priceless. <laughs> and she was like, do you have something else that, like, (laughs) some other sort of, like, crystal? And I was like, "Uh, no, I, like, I specifically, like, sell, like, I specifically make this, and it's important for me that, like, the person who buys that knows about, like, the tragic, bitter history behind it. And she was like, but I want to put it in my living room. And I was like, welcome to my life. (laughs) But, yeah. Oh. Um oh, so oh. I didn't sell it to her because she wasn't <laughs> happy, but it was a hard decision honestly. Yeah. But it's sometimes interesting to see people's eyes and then see, oh yeah. my god, they don't like the history behind it.
0: Mm. Okay, I just want to go back to mirrors for a second. Do you do you ever look in the mirror and have a conversation with yourself? Or do you ever have a How conversation How do you with... know
2: that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and do you ever have conversations with other people, family members when you look in the mirror? Start with yourself. Uh,
2: so, well, I talk a lot with myself and with other people when I'm walking. Uh, like, it sounds really stupid, but I do that a lot. Uh, but when I'm in the mirror, I talk with myself. I don't talk with somebody else. I'm really harsh critique of myself um, when I look at the mirror. And I think um, that's the only part in my life that I'm more silly when I look at the mirror. I'm like, I can be just like super silly with myself and I can give myself harsh critique. But no, when I um, talk with other people, I don't like, I just talk loud with other people when walking, but not in the mirror. Mm. So you do that too? No, I, I'm asking you. <laughs> this, is, this,
0: is, this, is, this is about do Do you feel more confident when you're looking in the mirror?
2: Compared to, like,
0: or just you, you know, when you have those conversations with yourself, does that also have to do with like in the, when you're having those conversations? Do you feel more confident, or let's say, um, more in your skin?
2: Uh, no, I always. I always just, like, ask myself, why am I doing that? What am I doing here? Like, I've just asked those questions for myself, like, so many times that sometimes I'm telling myself that, like, come on, Nunes, yeah. you can come up with a better question yeah. for today. You like to be <laughs> but- <laughs> silly with yourself, too. Yeah, and yeah, but um, it's not a... It's not a um, comfortable situation being in front of me. I don't like it. Was there... But, by the way, that question only can come from somebody who does that himself. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you think? What you think? <laughs> yeah. How can it occur to your mind if you haven't done that? <laughs>
0: um, well, I think about voices, maybe not like out loud or verbalized, but I think about uh you know, since I write and I think about characters, even mm-hmm. if I'm not writing a scene where the character's in the mirror, I always picture any character I'm creating in the mirror mm-hmm. and whose whose voices do they hear in the mirror. So uh, oh, my I brain see. is just weird, you know. <laughs> so like like if I have a character looking in the mirror, I'm I might be like, What is it what, what what is he is this character's hearing the voice of his father while he looks in the mirror because there's some kind of disconnect and um, conflict in the relationship with his father, so that's the voice he's hearing. And it's just my weird way. But then I, I was getting out of my, you know, fictional character brain, wondering if that exists in real life. And you're in front of me, and I'm like, hey. and I'm like, mirrors and stuff. So I went for it. Uh, I probably have conversations with myself in the mirror, maybe not like out loud, but uh, definitely, yeah, yeah, I do. I'm sure I do. Um, I think it's it's like you're alone, you know, and um, we go out into the world and we in many circumstances have to be humble, confident enough, but humble. Um and uh but I think in the mirror, alone, home, I think like, that's a moment if you want, you can be cocky, like, yeah. Oh mm-hmm. I mean, shit, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like and that there's an opportunity for that at least, and sometimes it might not be uncomfortable, but I mean it might not be comfortable, but um yeah, it's just it's just cool, like that you're alone. But you're with that image. Yeah. you not alone. <laughs> so there, there can be a conversation, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know that was cool.
2: And lots of time, I think, when I'm, like, by the mirror. Like, I remember there was a year that, like, the conversation was so much about, like, my work was about the feminist. My work wasn't about the feminism, but, like, the conversation that was happening around it was just, like, so much around the idea of feminism. And I am a feminist, but there is a big difference between white feminism and how do I call myself feminist and then by the time that like those white feminists they want to like oh yeah like like you know they want to inject their type of feminism into my work into my culture or like all of those things it would just like make me so um, anxious made me so angry and then I never can come up with the right, you know, spicy answer by that moment, and then I remember that I would go back to the mirror and I would say, and I would just, like, give all of those answers back, but, like, I would just, like, keep talking about it, like, for weeks after weeks. And then I realized that, like, wow, there is something really, like, deep in me that I cannot just get out of, like those Mm conversations so yeah that's like sometimes the mirror helps me to kind of like understand that like what is really deep in me
1: there might be a few answers to this question so like whatever comes to mind maybe first or if there's like a series but um was there ever a time where you wanted to just walk away from making art
2: Um, it's not a it time; it's more than like 20 times in my life. <laughs> what,
1: what, well, what do you what do you oh wrestle with? What does that look like? Or maybe if you just want to share like what what that uh, conversation with yourself or that that some of those feelings that you're experiencing when that, that's going on. And I, I ask just because I think it is like sort of a universal thing that uh, that that artists deal with. Um, so like, what is the, What kind of like what is that journey like for you?
2: that journey, the first thing I should say is that I always envy those people that they never question that. I'm like, how can they just, like, never question that? Good for you. I mean, I'm
0: not successful or anything, (laughs) but, you know.
2: It's amazing, but, like, I have so much of a internal challenge, like, specifically, like, with, like, when it, like, with wars, with, like, Mm -hmm. with Political like situation, especially in my own country mm-hmm. with like all of the things that are happening. And like sometimes like when you get the momentum, when you see like, for example, in that radio project that like, wow, this is actually useful. This is going to give power to those people that they don't have access to the right source of information. And that's just like so much that's just such a fantastic feeling that just energize you for the whole year. Mm-hmm. And then I have deep, sad moments, like like the last month that the internet blockage was happening in Iran. Like there were 200 people that was
0: yeah.
2: uh, killed in like less than three days. Yeah. And then, you know, all of those things. And I was like, I'm not going to make art about that because I think that it's just like, you know, surfing on the wave. Yeah. And I'm completely against that. And I think that's, like, completely wrong. It's I cannot accept such a thing to kind of, like, get people's misery and make art. And then people are going to be like, oh, wow, you're making art about, like, all of those people that, like, they died in your country. And I'm like, but I'm not there. I'm not doing anything for them. So, you know, that's a challenge. I'm I cannot make art for that. I cannot do anything about it. And I'm just, like, keep questioning myself. Okay, so... I want to bring up questions in people's mind, but is it helpful? Like lots of time I ask myself this question. I know deep in my heart that it is helpful because everything starts with the question for me. It started with question for me and probably for lots of other people, but sometimes I feel so like hopeless and I'm like, mm. why am I here? What am I doing here? Who's my audience that they're going to see that mm-hmm. work? How am I helping? Like, I don't expect myself to do something, like, extraordinary, big, you know, like, ginormous scale. But sometimes you need to see, like, what happens after you make that, like, little act. And that's challenging. And, yes, I that those are the moments that I'm, like, Maybe I just should leave it. <laughs> is, is there
0: a shift like do you witness in, like to come out of that to come out of that uh those feelings of uh questioning, hopelessness, sadness is it do you witness another some other art that uh reinvigorates your hope?
2: Well, uh usually for me it's it has a pattern. I am mm-hmm. I get, like, hopeless, I get sad, I question myself about my existence, about what I'm doing, and then when I get, like, really deep, 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 deep down there, and then a great work of art happens after mm. that, uh, so mm, that's usually the pattern that helps, like, I think that, like, specifically in, like, these two projects that you're talking about, that 100 Lullaby and then the Pirate Radio, those were after the times that I was, like, super, like, down and I felt that, like, yeah, what can I do from here? But, like, specifically that lullaby, I was like, yeah, that's, that can be as simple as that. Mm. So it kind of, like, shifts. But, like, another time when I was, like, super sad and I was making an I had a like, really big airplane wing in my studio and I was doing some mirror work beneath the airplane wing to kind of like show the reflection of the horizon and the hope that I had. And mm. then the ban against Iran happened. like Not against Iran, mm. against like seven different Muslim yeah, countries, yeah. which one of them was Iran. <clears throat> um, and I was like, okay. And then I removed all of the mirror work and I grinded the whole airplane wing to dust. And I was like, Okay, that feels good. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> who, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, wow. like, the type of art that you make, I make, it kind of, like, shifts really based on those uh, those moments that happen. All right, so she grinded a whole airplane link down to dust. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to
0: have me go back to a question I like to ask um, everyone. And western world or otherwise um i'll contextualize it with air quotes um uh, if can you think can you think of an age a specific age or a moment when you were young or at any point in life could be teenager can you think back to a moment or time age where when you realize you're not normal Uh
2: Let me think about it. Oh yeah. Um, um well I think I should talk about the time that I was teenager then. Um I think I was really normal because lots of people that I was hanging out with them, they were all troublemaker. And I was troublemaker, too. So, like, okay, so probably if I was growing up right now, I would become, like, really, I would feel that I'm not normal. But, like, we were a generation that we grew up in war, and then we had so much of a problem with the government growing up, and we were young, angry teenagers that we wanted, like, whatever that, like, would come from the government. You wanted to just, like, push back against it. So I think I grew up in such a, like, such a tension, intense um time. And, like, I remember I was, like, cutting, keeping my hair short the whole year long just for that moment that I can just, like, wear a hoodie and, like, run to the street without hijab and pretend that i'm a boy so it was like but like when you see that like lots of teenage girls that's their like a goal then you're not a normal you're just like part of that normal um troublemaker generation
0: (laughs) (laughs) did you did you uh, when you were out doing your little troublemaking did you like come home late at night? Did you have brothers and sisters or parents that did they like worry about what time you got home or anything like that?
2: Oh, God, so... <laughs> did, did you come home? <laughs> <coughs> I got so... I, yeah, I got home every time. But, you know, when you uh, live in those situations, you learn to acquire some skills that... um to how to run away from the situation that it's not perfect. So I remember when I was a teenager, my sister was the only one that I've told her about, like, hey, I want to do that. And then that's like, right now that I say that, I understand that for people that they're like out there, it doesn't make any sense. But just to give you a reflection of how does that feel, there are three women in Iran that they uh, took their hijab and then they went to the... Metro, and then they gave people flour, kind of like a completely peaceful gesture. Each of them are sentenced to fifty-five years of prison. This is for like last month, so just like that's the consequence. That's the that's the you know like you see that's not a like easy thing to do. Lots of women, I'm so proud of the women in my country. Lots of them, they are doing that, uh, but. Um, so when I was teenager, I wasn't sure how to run away from those situations. But then when I got like when I was young, uh, so we have so many of those polices that they are they call it moral police, so they are just like in the street to arrest you because you don't have the proper hijab. And then in Tehran, the traffic is like super heavy, right? So the moment that they would come by to get me, I would like ask the like those people that they were like on the motorbike, and then they would go the other direction. So the moral police is coming like toward me, and then the other side of the street, the traffic is going the other way. And then those motorcycles, like they're always guys, right? And then I would just like scream, "Can you help me? Can I like?" And then they would like just all the time, all the time, they would just like jump on and then they would just like go in between land, and I was like yay oh. so I learned it after like two times that I got arrested by moral police and it's not a no no that's not it. a teenager. a uh, teenager I was no I was 20 by the dog. time that <laughs> I got arrested but uh, it's not a um, it's not that uh, it's an everyday life that like female get arrested uh, by moral police mm. so it's mm. Mm. It's a badge of honor, I think.
0: (laughs) (coughs) Wow. Did you, like, learn how to also be, like, a good runner? Like, on your feet?
2: Well, I think you can see that from my asthma that I cannot be a good runner. (laughs)
0: oh shit uh, 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 I was, was really day. bad
2: <laughs> why do you think I would Jumping ask on the like <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, hello <laughs>
0: why are gonna attempt to run hey <laughs> yeah <laughs> you must have some athleticism though you had to jump on
2: really quick. <laughs> yeah a little bit but not a good did runner. did you
0: celebrate every time that you went in the opposite direction of those police oh my like.
2: god that's just such a great feeling <laughs> especially like looking at those like we call it like those female that they're like part of the police and then they you could see like how aggressive they were with other girls and then when they would see that you're you're touching a guy that you're not supposed to touch because you're Mm -hmm. jumping on the bike and then that's against the moral morality that they have and they were like so close to get me and I'm gonna be in the van and then they're like like, I could see that, like, Ugh. how angry they were. And I was like, yeah. Oh, wow! wow. It's Wow. It's a really pleasant moment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, were you one of those you know, kids that, like, you always, in the series or in the movies, you wanted the... The bad guy to beat the police. Like, I was always growing up, I was against the police. When I, whenever movie that I would watch, I was like, go, 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 hide. (laughs) Like, but I never, like, shouted for, like, police that, like, yes, you can do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, never that,
1: never anywhere. What are you tired of hearing?
2: Wow. I'm tired of hearing the comments of white feminist people.
0: <laughs> and uh, <laughs> next?
2: Not about here, about no, my country. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course.
0: What do you love hearing today?
2: I love to hear more and more. Uh, I mean... Okay, so today is a different day because of impeachment. <laughs> so that's a, that's a completely uh, different sense of time. Um, so if we set that aside, uh, the other thing that I like to hear more and more about is uh, I like to hear more, more and more about awareness about the um, climate change and uh, see that how much care the new generation have about that. Uh, yeah, that's mm. the conversation that I want to hear it more and more and more every day.
0: Okay, good.
2: Not related to my artwork or anything, but. Yeah,
0: this, this could be something you read, heard in an audio book. This could be something, could be a vision or it could have been some advice you've gotten. Um, What's the most profound answer you've ever been given?
2: Wow, that is really vague. Uh, the profound answer that I gave or somebody else gave? Um,
0: like something occurred to, occurred to you uh, something came to you In the form of whatever Inspiration That was profound As an answer to hmm, You know the mystery Like we're always like You deal with the existential stuff Like why do we exist mm-hmm. The mysterious nature of life It could have been advice from a mentor It could have mm-hmm. been Something you witnessed in a film But like an answer Something just like That was like Whoa I'll never forget this
2: Well Um I always think about that um, so I need to tell a little bit of a story to explain that uh, my dad when I was, uh, when I was a kid uh, by the time of like um, by the time of the war lots of the school they got destroyed in lots of small villages and my dad uh, is an architect and he would go to those villages for free and he would make uh, like school for them um, we we were not a like in we were not in a best financial situation at all, but still with like uh with that situation my dad would still like do that job for several years. And then one day uh he decided that he's not going to do that. And I've asked him why, because my dad really, really believes in education and he believes in like when you can like, trigger a question in somebody, they can find their own way. You're gonna let them to find their own way, but it's important to trigger that question for them. And then one day that I've asked him, he said that like, I will let you know later when you grow up. So when I was a teenager, my dad and I would go to hiking every week uh, to the mountain. And then he started telling me the story and there was one point in what he said that really made sense for me. He was like, it's like life is like, like that thing that I was doing and life is like a math. When you're a minus, when you point that to like plus, the result is always minus. It doesn't become plus. So um, he was saying that like I was trying to do something plus that was positive, but then when I was doing that for the government, that all of their forces was the minus, was the negative, like the negative to the positive become like negative always in the mass, right? Uh, So he said that the answer is always negative. It never comes to positive. And then by that time, it was several years after he made those schools, and I could see the result because lots of them, they were not school anymore. They were uh, like they were type of school that like those mullahs and like religious people would kind of like take over and they would basically like, you know, the way that they brainwash students. So like doesn't matter how much of a good intention somebody have or I have, if I do it in a negative or like in atmosphere that all of the forces are going to be negative, the result wouldn't be positive. That's the thing that, that was the big lesson that I got from my dad.
0: So are you you constantly in search of these positive atmospheres to put yourself in, to be in other communities, in in community, even if there, because there can be positive atmospheres where we're still having hard conversations, but might be devoid of a government, you know, pulling on those strings you know are yeah. those uh, are you i mean how, how, you've been here five years
2: uh minneapolis five mm-hmm. years but i was in texas before that two wh- years
0: where before texas
2: uh in lubbock texas it's west oh my texas goodness. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> where before texas i was in iran i'm uh, okay, so i've been here for. i i've been in united states for seven years right now
0: lubbock texas yeah so who got a job there
2: Oh, that's a long story. (laughs) (coughs) Okay. (coughs) Okay. But I should tell you that I found beautiful, amazing artist friends that, like, they are there right now all over the country, but, like, I found really unique, amazing people there.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, I try to always have that in my mind, that, like... um, I don't have the vocabulary to explain it because I never talked about this concept in English, so I don't know the, those vocabulary that I'm looking for, but I'm trying to always look to see where I step in. Oh. Because I know about my intention, but when you don't know about the intention of the other people that you're working with them, you doesn't matter how much positive force you have, Lots of time, it gonna goes to the wrong direction. Right.
1: So this is sort of the the another another version of that question. Um, What's the most profound lie you were ever told? Hmm.
2: Well. I'm lucky for a lie that somebody else said, not me. And I don't know that person in my whole life. I'm so thankful of that guy. But I think this is a good point to like really show my respect to a policeman who one time lied and then he saved my life. I was uh, running away from protest, and I had the footage of uh, when people like singing the Yared Abastani, which is the song that people like sing in the university. So they would kind of like coming out from the university. That was like the beginning of the protest. And anyway, I ran away. I went and I got a taxi and then the police stopped us and then they grabbed me. They took me out of the car and then... Uh so there were, like, two different types of police. One of them was just, like, the city police, and then the other part was the militia um, police. Like, they are, like, I don't know how to explain that. They are, like, with, like, normal clothes, but they are police and they have guns. Mm-hmm. And they are not undercover police. That's a different type. Uh, so they dragged me out, and then my, like, clothes were, like, ripped open, and then they got my cell phone, and I was just shaking I was like oh my god I gonna get arrested and then by that time lots of people that they got arrested like you know in Iran you'd never know if like you get arrested your family gonna hear about you or not you're lucky if you're lucky your family gonna hear about you you can get a lawyer and all of those things but we have so many people that like their family never heard back from them so I had the footage in my cell phone and my cell phone didn't have any luck or anything and then the guy got my cell phone, threw it at the other guy who was the city police, and then even now that I say that, it's just super stressful for me. Um, and then he said, I'd look at like look to see what she got." So I had all of the footage of like the police attacking students, like the riot guards that they kicked that they got into the university, like everything. And then he looked at them and he just like threw it back at me and he said some swears like, for example, that fucking blah 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 doesn't have anything, we just wasted our time. And then he kicked me with his lick to just like show that he really hates me. And like he kicked me really hard, actually. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't feel good. But I was I was so thankful. That, like, I was like, wow, I cannot believe that. Like, and I could feel that, like, how much pressure is on that guy when he was saying that lie.
0: Did he make some kind of eye contact right before he made the lie?
2: He didn't Did make suck, any eye you? contact like, with me. He was just like looking at that guy and he was swearing at me, like, not. Not nice swears, like, right. pretty right. <laughs> awful right. swears. He was trying to, like... Sell it. Yeah, yeah, just, like, trying to sell it. And when he was, like, swearing those to me, like, he was looking at me, and I was just, like, I was still on the ground because, like, he, like, the other guy, like, he threw me to the ground. And then when he kicked me, I, like, literally with my backpack and everything, I, like... I don't know how to explain it. There were some, like, little part that was for water. So I just, like, basically got into that part, like, with my backpack. So they didn't even search my backpack either, which I didn't have anything with my backpack. But it was just, like, the moment that he was looking at me and he kicked me. Like, he, I just could see anger in his eyes. Like, he was such a great liar. Like, I, I mean, I knew that he was mm-hmm. doing something completely different. but uh, Wow. Just think about if you're in his shoes, how stressful it can be to do such a thing. So yeah, that's Mm. the best lie I've ever heard. (laughs) God, it's...
0: We'll never get that answer. Anything close to it. Oh, Um, Do you... (laughs) Sorry. When do you feel you're at your very best? Not even as an artist, just as you.
2: Mm. I think when I'm in nature, um, I recently find out that, like, um, I'm, like, really close to myself when I'm completely free out in the nature. Mm. Um, And, yeah, there's something about the nature here that is just, like... um, so amazing and so nourishing. Um,
0: you go for a lot of walks?
2: Yeah, I have a dog, so mm-hmm. I go for lots of walks, yeah. Mm. But I don't know the answer to that question from like, um, artistic point of view, uh, but I know that like when I'm under lots of pressure, um, I'm, Sorry, I'm the most creative when I'm like under lots of pressure from like different oh. angle. Yeah, oh. <laughs> that's not healthy. Was that but was that was,
0: were you that way in school too, in terms of education
2: and no. testing, or it's just no. the art at all? Like not, I would never that, get stressed out over exam or anything.
0: Because why? Because you just didn't like it. It bored you, or.
2: No, I didn't care that much right, about yeah. grades, you
0: know. So the art, the the, the thriving under pressure in terms of your art is that to finish a piece or to like to no. make deadlines or what does it have to, to do? To
2: like for that moment that you're kind of like struggling Stuff, with ideas, yeah. okay, and then you know that you have to do something, but it's just like not coming out, and you're like. You know, mm-hmm. the example that I said, like, mm-hmm. three weeks ago, that, like, the whole, my mm-hmm. whole country was in internet blockage. Or, like, um, by mm-hmm. the time of the election here, like, lots of those moments are the moments that they put so much pressure on me. Uh, and I get stressed out. But, like, I never get stressed out about education when mm-hmm. I was a student.
0: When is making the art, like, really fun?
2: Uh you know, when, like, when you pass that moment of conceptualizing the idea and everything, and then when it comes to the moment that you see that it's happening, you're working hard, you're sweating, you're like, working day and night, and you're working with people, and it's just like, you see, it's like, a, um, I don't know the other word to use for that. I don't think that, the art, that art is like a baby, but like imagine that you're making a non-human baby and you're like growing that and you see that it's, it's getting its life. That's the moment that like it's worth all of those sweats and it's so productive and it's so enjoyable.
1: Mm. Um, if you could speak directly to uh, our listeners, what would you, what do you want them to know after, after listening to this whole episode this whole conversation
0: but it also could be i want them to know that your favorite potato chips on sale at the co-op
2: what do i want them to know um I want them to know that the freedom that lots of them, they probably have. So many other people, they have fight for that. And they cannot get it for granted. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of time, I think that like each of us, when you go really, really deep down, you see that you forget the feeling, you forget that you're free. It's like the freedom is like the oxygen that we, lots of time, we forget about it. But uh, we have to fight for that freedom to keep it for the next generations. Mm. Mm. It was so much of a like. Ted talky I didn't want to end it like that But I just oh, no, want to kind of like Bring the awareness that like We are free and then we should appreciate that And we should think about all of those people That they tried so hard For us that we are mm. right now Free
0: mm. mm-hmm. Oh yeah Close it up Is there Is there any art uh, Could be paintings Could be TV could be books is there any art that you're currently taking in that's really recharging you and
2: giving you a lot of energy? Well, there's an artist that I love his work. Uh, oh, God. Catalan, he's an, uh, he's an Italian artist. Uh, he does lots of installations. And he has a work that I love that work. And lots of time I look at it. Uh, it might sound really creepy, but there is... Is a um, kid who sits down with a really formal, like dressing, like coats and stuff, uh, and praying. And you can only see that from the behind in like a really long hallway. So you go closer and closer and closer, and everything is so beautiful. And like it's like when you pray, and then you can see an innocent kid that it's sitting there, and then. When you look at the face of the kid, when you get to the end of it, who do you think you will see? Ooh, I don't want st- to. I don't want to. It's get... Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that work is just <laughs> <laughs> blow my mind. God, that artist is amazing. Like he's crazy, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I love that work. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Mm. 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 Do you have any like guilty pleasure TV shows, candy?
2: Oh, I have so much of a guilty pleasure. One of the guilty pleasure that I, it's actually in Minneapolis that I love it. It's um, called Winery. It's uh, a, they have really good polished sausages and uh, like really, really. cedar. And Cedar, yeah. Next to Exactly. That is the place <laughs> that when I work so hard, I go there. Um, and uh, I, when I go there, I don't like to uh, choose from, like, their healthy options. <laughs> I go with the sausage and Polish sausage specifically and, like, uh, lots of fried hash browns and like mm. that's the number one that I love it I've so actually much. Never been in there,
0: wow! Oh my well, god, you I'm should in, really go Obari there. If I'm going the see <laughs>
2: there, I never go. To, oh, you girl. should really try it. I will um, do that. Will and do that. then so many of the t- yeah TV shows for sure, yeah. Um, well, so what's one you
0: think is really good, and then what's one you watch that you know is a terrible show but you watch it anyway?
2: Well, I think that there are <laughs> so much of it. <laughs> Um, uh, like, okay, so if I'm in, like, with some of the grad students in University of Minnesota, I probably never want to, like, even mention that, like, oh, I love Harry Potter, or, like, I love Game of Thrones, because, like, and I'm, like, yeah, I know I should, like, watch really, like, sophisticated movies, too, but, like, that's just, like, you know, that's what I love, <laughs> um, but uh when i watch um series i just um you know i just like use it for like i love fantasy series mm-hmm. uh and right now i'm watching the good place i'm watching what is that thing between the uh, there are two different angels one is the good angel one is oh, the good omens good omens is yeah, yeah. It was a show so. yeah uh, yeah, but I think the um, the only one that like sometimes I felt that like oh my god I cannot say that right now because like everybody is talking about like oh in my class nobody is going to talk about like blah 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 I'm like oh my god I love Harry Potter though.
0: <laughs> yeah, do you have any? I don't know. Are you are you on social media? Do you?
1: Where can people find you?
0: Other than, uh, yeah, you can see the website too. Yeah,
2: I have a website that I barely even updated, which I love to be better at that. I'm not good at it, but uh, I'm on Instagram and my uh, handle is so weird. It's Nushpa. Uh, but yeah, the and my Facebook doesn't work, so people send me invitation and they get pissed. So I'm like uh, my grandma generation. I'm like, yeah, not good with it. <laughs> eh.
1: What is the website though? Just if people want to find it.
2: Uh, website is uh, NushinHakimArt.com and Instagram is Nushpa N-O-U-S-H-B-A, I think.
0: Okay, I think, I love it, I love it, I
1: love it. <laughs> well, Nushin, thank you so much. It has been just a joy to uh, be in conversation with you. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: That is such a different interview compared to other ones that I've had. And I'm so thankful for... Um, the really open-ended questions that you had and you made me think i right now want to think about the best lies that i have said <laughs> oh part yeah. 2 <laughs> yeah thank you so much yeah thank you thanks very much
1: thank you thank you, thank you nushin thank you that was mm. i mean the, 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 I, the, I think you get this from listening to the interview, but feeling in that room, the feeling afterwards, I mean, just, uh, really special, uh, really special conversation with a really, really special and incredible person.
0: That, uh, interview was so nourishing. Yes. That I had to, uh, couple that interview and recording this outro with a perfect, delicious smoothie to <laughs> nourish my body. Let's take a little sip. Mmm. Thank you, Nushin. <laughs> so um, we always want to hear from you, you listeners out there. That's the right. For the show, um, what art are you currently taking in that's giving you life, giving you hope, giving mm-hmm. you energy, inspiring you to do X, Y, Z? You can hit us up on any of those social media channels. Also, you can email us at fans at gmail.com. That's fans at gmail.com. We're excited to hear from you. We're excited that you continue along for this ride. We do this for you. Mm-hmm. And we thank you for listening and uh, there's so much more to come. Get ready
1: for more new episodes. As always, uh, weapon of choice podcast is a special menu production. You can find out all of the stuff that we're doing and uh, it's going to be a doozy of an update in the coming uh, weeks and months, but uh, at www.specialmenuproductions.com uh, again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.
0: Peace.